And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young men laid hold on him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Let us try to understand these strange creatures. I, it's get it's getting it's getting ah. hot it's getting hot and sexy in here. Was, was that gross enough? <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. That was exactly what we wanted. We're taking a new direction with horror vanguard. Yeah, gro- gross is not the word I would have used, but accurate all the same. <laughs> Romantic, ephemeral, haunting, ghastly. I think all of those would be appropriate. Excellent. Yes. Good. Yes. <laughs> well. Well, well, dear listeners, uh, as you can hear, the crypt is being haunted by additional voices on this. The I'm calling whatever day this comes out. This is now the ghostliest day of the year. Uh, we are joined by fellow podcasters, fellow arcane magicians of audio wonder. Weird signal. Hello. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Yeah. Love is the law. Love under well. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, Crowley said, pod- "Make the podcast about whatever you want." Like that's 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 what we took it to be. <laughs> uh, super super excited that uh, Weird Signal are in the HV crypt. We've talked we've talked about the show multiple times on on Horror Vanguard, but for the the fools and ingrates who have yet to listen to Weird Signal, do you want to kind of introduce yourselves, introduce the show a little bit? Yeah. Uh, oh shit, <laughs> Sean. So yeah, I guess we were, we started talking a little about this before we started recording, but we kind of formed around 2017. Put out our first episode in 2018, and our brief was like basically, what if we talk about um, horror movies, but with kind of like Marxist critical theory um, angle, um, but also talk. Well, I, I don't know. A lot of it was inspired by the work of Mark Fisher, so the whole kind of idea of ontology and capitalist realism and we we hit a part of formula of like we are the podcast of the the eerie the weird and the hauntological um and yeah and that's our that's our that's our shtick um and yeah we've been going rather sporadically since then do you want to introduce everybody with your name lucy people who haven't yeah, heard lucy. the podcast <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I'm Lucy, uh, and this is Sean. Hello, I'm Sean, and I'm the uh, other 50% of uh, Weird Signal podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know how many I don't know how many times we've talked about Weird Signal on the show, but uh listen listen to Weird Signal. Li- like if you if you listen to this show, you kind of you have to listen to Weird Signal. Um I have It is the, it law. Is the law. It is the law. <laughs> uh I'm I think if I gun to my head and I had to choose a favorite, I'm a big fan of the Kurosawa Pulse episode that Weird Signal did. I was about to say the Pulse episode rule. So good. <laughs> as yeah. as prep for for coming onto this, actually, I listened to I listened to the Pulse episode um, when I when I was doing my cardio at the gym earlier in the week, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was lo- it was lovely to sort of like get like two minutes into it and to hear you say sort of like, oh, please go listen to the Weird Signal episode on this. Ah, oh, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's that thing that thing I do. Yes, people like it. Um, for everyone I, I was, at this point going away to listen to that episode it's like yes I take a very long time to say things and I'm not sorry <laughs> this is just, that's, 
that's that's how I roll it. Yeah, get used to it. Uh, uh, the, the the meme. I, I was going to say no one, no, no one ever finishes the the Crowley quote. No one ever finishes. Uh, do do as thou wilt. Uh, shall be the whole of the law. Asterix. Except for following, liking, and subscribing to Weird Signal the podcast. <laughs> Phenomenal that he was able to call that one so many years in advance. I mean, it's just proof of his prophetic status, really. Like he was, <laughs> he was Maitreya Buddha. He was the world's teacher. Yeah, just, uh, Peter Lavender <laughs> left that detail out of the dark. Um, for those who listened to our Nosferatu episode, <laughs> which you now have to for that to make sense, um, or read the Dark Lord if you can get a copy of it. It's well, I do. Yeah, I regret. That's a book I regret not retain because I I have because um, I am a, an obsessive hoarder of books, and the only way I'm able to make that work is to have periodic, quite like ruthless clear outs, and that is yeah. one of the ones that is one of the ones that didn't survive the last. I don't think it did at least, and I really bloody wish I kept hold of that because it's a uh, yeah yeah and Peter Lavender another guy who may or may not be a spy uh, um, well, that's uh, yeah uh, that's yeah the um, the Crowley spy rumours are a fun thing but yeah like uh, anyway I don't, I don't want to say too much to get from fear of getting libeled but uh, yeah The Dark Lord is a really interesting book by a very interesting man is what I will say so yeah um, we we are uh, amazing poll quote. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love amazing guy potential sus lord. <laughs> I also I also am delighted that uh, Sean you you I mean you can try and blame this on Lucy, but this is entirely your fault that we're doing the movie that we're doing today. Um, it is entirely my fault. Yes, and but it's my fault. Sean knows about. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the deepest lore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My, I, in my head, what I thought happened was basically like the room decided. You know, it was an idea that came out of the room that we were going to do chemical wedding. But then, when me and Lucy were chatting about this on WhatsApp the other day, I Lucy, I discovered Lucy was under the impression that it was Horror Vanguard who decided that we were doing chemical wedding. And I said, <laughs> no, no, it was me and you who decided we were doing chemical wedding. And Lucy said, no, Sean, it was you who told me that we were doing chemical wedding. So, uh, yeah, this yeah. idea came to me fully formed by you, and it's like, yeah, we've we've I've already been committed to this on on my behalf by Sean. So, so here we are. But, so here we uh, are. We're, talk, we're talking about talking about chemical wedding. Talking about one of the one of and it is. It is one of the worst films I've ever seen. Like it is. It's not the worst film I've ever seen. The worst film I've ever seen is probably Surf Nazis Must Die. But it is certainly <laughs> it is one of one of the worst films I've ever seen. And it's a film that I ever since it was the first film Lucy and I watched together way back when we, we were both students at UEA. And it's a film that I have just been absolutely just fascinated with for over a decade now because it's a film we'll get more into this when we move into the formalism zone but like it's a film which is just so so inept a film where just so little good things you can say about it it's a film that looks like it's an extended episode of of doctors that got out of hand you know that kind of like strange plasticky nowhereness of it is it's and <laughs> and it is disgusting like, I think it's, that's, a uh, horror. it's so it's disgusting. Disgusting. yeah right i mean it is 100 yes. my in my favorite episode of inspector morse after dark like it's inc- incredible <laughs> And I am so excited that I get to do this, where I get to ask my dear friend Ash, would you mind would you mind explaining 
Uh, Chemical Wedding is is a is I think a, a, to put it mildly a strange movie, and I think everyone listening probably needs a kind of <laughs> just, a, just a way a bit, in a, a way. We're, we're into... not going to talk about Aleister Crowley peeing on people today. <laughs> Actually, oh no, we are. <laughs> would, 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 would you mind laying out for for all three of us and and for for everybody listening, 2008's Chemical Wedding? What is it about? Dear listeners, you've likely heard the famous Ursula K. Le Guin quote, We live in capitalism. Its power seems inescapable. So did the divine right of kings. Any human power can be resisted and changed by human beings. But what about the power of a god? The empirical has little sway over the divine, but alchemy presents us a way of knowing that can approach these tulpas, these mid-demiurges, these hypnagogic divinities created over the years by the avarices of the bourgeoisie. Our work is to pull the attack and dethrone god meme into a mocking chant, to desecrate the dehistoricized idol of capital, its false firmament be shattered lest we continue to bar our way out of this man-made purgatory. This is no podcast. This is a summoning circle. We call down and bind a truth, a living dream from beyond the leaden sky of capitalist realism. The acid work of calling the impossible into the possible is the realm of magic. Not a rejection of the mundane, but an explosion of the limitless wonder that lives within the mundane. This process is the chemical wedding, the merger of the cybernetic, the alchemic, and the Marxist. I know there's a lot of talk about witches and warlocks and stuff like that, and a lot of people actually believe it. The full force of material history empowers this spell like the tectonic energy of geological time. Again, I say to you, dear listeners, we are not film critics. We are sorcerers. Our spells, these scattered words, are the raw material for you to craft the tools, the visions, and the pathways to each other and beyond the hypnotic trance of capital. We have a debt to the dead. Let us begin this work as we discuss Chemical Wedding. Uh-oh. Yay! Yay. <laughs> yes. Are you, are you sure we all watched the same film? <laughs> oh, no, this is, this is the reaction I had. The worse the movie gets, the more my reaction borders on, like, inhaling volcanic fumes and then commenting on the movie. Nice. Uh, well... Uh, let us let us let us begin then. Let us begin then, as we always do uh, on the show, by by entering the dread region known as the formalism zone. Um, and before before we get into the truly soul rending levels of discourse, which I can sense coming, uh, Sean, Lucy, Ash, what what do we think about this purely on the level of cinematic form? <laughs> yeah, appropriate response. It, uh, it, it kind of makes sense cackling. that it's like it's like a neo it's a neo Python film. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Julian Doyle, uh, one of I think he was like the special effects guy. In, well, he was sort of like one of the secondary people in that whole like gang. So he was like he was in effects. He was like, but he like he appears in some of the stuff. Like he's like technically I think the last person on screen in uh, Monty Python: The Holy Grail. Um, he's like the police officer who shuts off the camera uh, when, they, <laughs> yeah, when they get arrested yeah. for attacking a castle. That's him. Um, and yeah, and it's kind of like, there's elements of that. It's kind of like a very, very kind of like, uh, older, hard drinking private schoolboy film. <laughs> or like, you know, <laughs> creation. 
Um, or at least that's that's my read on it. It's and, yeah. It's a film where, if we're being generous, like it is, it was is a passion project. It's a film where the the sheer ambition, the sheer the sheer will, really, we should say, to create to create a film about Alistair Crowley and about cybernetics and the relationship between magic and technology, where the sheer will to create that just sliced through. Um, all good sense and um, <laughs> all good sense and capability and any desire for sort of recognizable artistic merit. It's 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 a very in that sense it's it is it is a remarkable film. It reminds me in some ways of a um, it reminds me of a quote I once heard about Ed Wood. I remember watching like a a, um, a, a documentary on the DVD of um plan nine from outer space and one of them said that one of them said regard i love this quote about edward said that the thing about edward is he was genuinely a talented filmmaker because he was able to overcome the fact that he was edward enough to actually finish <laughs> films you know like they do they were made and they have beginning middles and ends and you can still watch them. So he did make the films. And similarly, like Bruce Dickinson, and that is Bruce Dickinson of Iron Maiden, the singer from Iron Maiden wrote the screenplay for this film. Like, despite being Bruce Dickinson, he was still able to write the screenplay for Chemical Wedding and get it made, you know? It's like uh, that famous uh, Florence Foster Jenkins um, quote, which is, I think, something to the effect of... uh, they may say that I can't sing, but they'll never say that I didn't sing. Exactly. Um, and, Beautiful. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, uh, Bruce Dickinson is a man who wears many hats. He's like, he's a pilot, sometime brewer, I think. Yep. I, yeah, yeah. He, um, I, watched a, I watched an interview with him and Julian Doyle at Cannes. Um, <laughs> whether whether this was screened at Cannes, I'm not sure. But It was. Uh, it, was film, like, it was screened yeah, at the Cannes yeah. Film Festival. Cool. I mean, nice. <laughs> but yeah, he does. He does make sure that we are aware that he flew the whole team over there on like the the maiden voyage or whatever it's called, the the the, the Iron Maiden plane. Brilliant plane. Yeah. Um. It's yeah. it's it's very it's very very. Um. My my favorite review that I found of this film was one in the Guardian that said, "Well, it's not boring," <laughs> which is. Which is like the most damning with faint praise thing you can ever do with a film that's written by the lead singer of Iron Maiden. Um, I, I, I would be very curious to know what everyone thinks about its connection to Hammer Horror, because that's clearly the big style, stylistic yeah. genealogical influence here, right? Yeah, this is... Um, yeah, the thing is, if this film had been produced by hammer studios in the 60s or the 70s and if every single thing about it was the same like identical script um everything um just with like different actors and not even better actors just like just just actors from the past like if all of those (laughs) things were in place this would be a fondly remembered cult classic it would be and that it because because bruce dickerson was trying to make a hammer horror movie basically it has all of the like exploitativeness and the uh nastiness and the kind of like childishness of that era of horror cinema like it's um as well as kind of like 
somewhat, you might generously, a, a disregard for traditional narrative structure um, <laughs> and so on. Like, in that situation, this would have actually been, this would be quite a fascinating, this would maybe wouldn't be a great film, but it would be a film that is at least kind of probably fondly remembered along yes. with, um, uh, oh God, what's it called? Um, the, uh, um, the one with Christopher, the one with Christopher Lee in it. That doesn't help, does it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that one. Yeah, That's yeah, I movie. love that one. Yeah. I love well, that one. It's not Chase, it's um, not right. It's not Ride, ride with the Devil. S- Satanic Rides with Dracula? Oh, wait, no, The that, Devil Rides Out. The Devil Rides Out. There we go. Thank oh, there you. we go. Yeah, that's a banger. Yeah, yeah, I mean, which, is, which is, and that is actually kind of meant to be an Alistair Crowley film sort of kind of. Like, so that yeah, is, Dennis, however... It's a Dennis Wheatley novel that's based on, he's like, he's another guy who's sort of like present himself as a kind of anthropologist, but like made a lot of shit up. Um <laughs> <laughs> and yeah no that kind of fits the vibe perfectly actually yeah however this was a film that was a, that was not made in the 60s or the 70s it was made in 2008 and yeah. it it and mm, the it just it, again this is like why i said it looks like a, a, an episode of doctors that went to right i mean that in the terms of like the camera equipment like the film it's shot on just looks so plasticky and 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 fake it's it's it looks like exactly the film it is which is a film that was made for five pence and the length of a string you know yeah. it's <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely yeah no i so not to play the type but i kind of love yeah this obviously movie. of, co- of uh, course you do by, of course you do but i i loved it by way of unrelenting hatred <laughs> So, like, like the 2008 vibe, like, you're 100% right. Like, if they didn't film this in their friend's shitty flat <laughs> and instead had access to at least one Hammer Horror set, this would have been an infinitely better film. But instead, like, this is 2008. This has the muddy visuals, the depressing cinematography, and the anhedonic effects of a, like, <laughs> terrible Saw franchise ripoff. Like, this is, this is aughts new metal cinema at its worst coming bafflingly from the hand of the singer of Iron Maiden. Like, but, I mean, it makes I, about the, as much I, sense as, like, Brucey's grunge face. Yeah, I, oh, my oh my God. <laughs> so, I mean, I think we should just acknowledge that sometimes it's very difficult to be an Iron Maiden fan, because, God help me, they, like, the band themselves don't make it easy on them, do they? <laughs> no, they, they are do kind not. of, like... There were, wasn't it like kind of a Hard Times article or something of just like kind of rare medical condition of like Iron Maiden fan with self-awareness? <laughs> <laughs> um, the um, one thing I want to... This is something about like... This lets you know the kind of film you, you, you're, you've let yourself in for very early on, which is the fact that there are points in the film where consequential dialogue, like dialogue you are meant to be able to hear, is drowned out by the soundtrack. And I don't mean yes! that in the way that everybody says like Game of Thrones is too loud. I mean, no, it is abs- It is totally inaudible, totally inaudible. The- and it's only on points where they're playing uh, an actual song. When it's plinky plonky incidental music, it's fine. But when they're pl- like, they, they, the film opens, it like it opens in 1940, I think it's 1947 Crowley died. And it opens with a couple of like two young men going to Hastings to meet with, to meet with the great beast. And the soundtrack is a song called like "Here Comes the Boogeyman" from like from like the fifties or whatever, and you yeah, cannot you can't hear, hear what a, they are you can't hear a thing. The opening, the opening, like two minutes of dialogue. You're like, I'm sorry, what? Can you turn the radio down, please? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the, fact the worst that- sound mixing in this one. 
they like before this film is finished they would have watched it they would have like they would have to have done the sound mixing and they I just mean, said, were yeah, a that's lot fine. Of yeah that's <laughs> fine I, I do feel like um the fact that like the Apart from, you know, besides everything else, like, the most crystal clear piece of audio on the entire, like, video file is, um, is just that one blast of Can I Play With Madness as they open a car door or something. <laughs> I think yeah. a lot, maybe at certain point, like, it was all balanced pretty well, but, um, I think... Like someone, someone wanted to make sure that was you know, or like the bit where they play uh, that bit from The Wicker Man, like your time will come, and it's like, oh, it's like the guy who's also like played yeah. by Bruce Dickinson says the bit, and you're like, oh yeah, and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, fucking hammer that home that they did a they did a shout out to one of the oh, songs yeah. of the guy that made it. But, yeah. yeah, the the, I, the visual and audio landscape of this film is like trying to sprint across the Morecambe sand flats. This is like <laughs> a, just a muddy sinking mess. There is on 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 account of the um, uh, oh, sorry on the topic of the performances there are two that stand out as actually being good. Like one is the obvious one is Simon Callow as Oliver Haddo slash Alistair Crowley. He knows exactly the film he's in. He's there for that paycheck and he is I mean, he's a complete one-dimensional caricature. Like he is just like a gross, shouty wizard man. Um, <laughs> but he's having—he's—but he's—you can't deny like he's really fun whenever he's oh, on absolutely. screen. Like even if he doesn't uh, have any depth to him, like he doesn't. It's not performance with depth. The other one is, and it's right at the beginning of the film, and it's the only—I will say this is the only sequence in the entire film which is actually genuinely interesting and kind of menacing and. And good, like it's actually good. And there is that sequence at the beginning where they go to the boarding house in Hastings and meet with Alistair Crowley, who in this one scene is played by John Shrapnel. Yes. And because of his performance in this, John Shrapnel, the now late John Shrapnel, is an actor who I would always keep an eye out for. Like he was never like one of the great famous performers of his generation. Like he was always very much sort of like Senator number one in Gladiator, that kind of thing. But he would always just be sort of like, I just always quite liked keeping an eye out for him because he was perfectly all right. And it was just nice seeing him in work. But yeah, he plays gross old, deep into his heroin addiction, can't get up anymore, dependent on money from uh, Jack Parsons, Alistair Crowley. And he is just, just really looks horrible in it. He is very, very like aggressively sexual with them as well. Like it's it's a really and like because the only part of the film where like Crowley like like he actually has some depth to the character. Like he is like they call him sort of like the grand old man of magic. Like he is clearly someone who, you know, is a person of like great potency and personal magnetism even in this absolute nadir of his life where he is just falling apart but he is still 100% sharp still absolutely knows what's going on around him like literally preternaturally and still is like full of like magical ability and he's in it for like three minutes then he dies and then we're into Oh, then we're into chemical wedding, and it and it will not, it will never, <laughs> be, never be this good, good again. It'll never be that good. Um, and should we describe in least in brief terms what the plot is? Well, this is. I um, think. I think before we. Bef- oh, before good we, luck. Before we do that, maybe maybe we can just take a second because I don't I don't I don't want to assume that everybody is completely familiar with Alistair Crowley, firstly, and kind of like other cinematic representations of Crowley. What well, can we can we maybe start there? 
So, so pause the podcast and listen to the entire back catalogue of Current 93. Yes. You will emerge a worse person, but better informed about Crowley and his vibe, if not the events of his life, which I feel like is also so useful. Give us those sass and we'll kick your ass because we're, we're the heralds of Crowley, Crowley Mass. mass. Um, <laughs> so Alistair Crowley, Edward Alexander Crowley, as he was born, Alistair Crowley was a... Um, Ah, oh, God, how do you describe Alistair Crowley, right? So, Polymath, okay, like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was. <laughs> so, okay, he was an occultist. Let's just like. like the, sim- the simple story is Alistair Crowley was a. Um, he was born into a Victorian brewing fortune, um, the, like uh, in Plymouth. He was raised in an extremely puritanical um, Christian fundamentalist cult called the Exclusive Brethren. Um, and he uh, just re- rejects absolutely everything about his childhood, what he was raised with, embraces um, the study of ritual magic, and spends his considerable personal fortune that he inherits over the course of the rest of his life, just travelling around the world, um, performing occult ritual, taking every single drug that is available, um, leaving a strewn of like just destroyed lives in his wake, and as far as he was concerned, ushering in the religion of the new epoch, the new eon, which he called Thelema, uh, which is the which is a Greek word for will, um, based on the dictum, do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law, which takes a channeled text called the Book of the Law, Liber Alvel Legis, as its holy scripture. And he was notorious throughout the whole course of his life for being, as, as he was nicknamed in one paper, the wickedest man in the world, because of, in part, it's because like he led, led an extremely uh, hedonistic lifestyle and an extre- and an openly openly queer one as well. He was openly bisexual. Mm-hmm. He took a lot of male lovers uh, as as well as as well as female lovers. Um, he was a, a, a terrible person. Like he he like he did he really did just destroy people's lives. He was extremely exploitive of the people around him. He was a megalomaniac. He didn't really hold the regard of lesser beings as he saw them in any in any kind of a esteem. Um, and he died, and like you know, as the film depicts, he died in poverty and obscurity with a crippling heroin addiction at the end of his at the end of his life, more or less forgotten by everybody at that point. Uh, but the reason why anyone still talks about him is he let is he really has cast a shadow across the whole the whole twentieth century and into the twenty first because he had the one of the most unique lives that anybody has ever had. Like he like. It, like he he was a part of the first European European attempt to uh, climb K two. He um he you know, he established an esoteric religious philosophy which does still exist and is still practiced by you know, th- thousands of people. You know, like and um it's it's still like the work he produced is still alive in some way. Um, but he's also a figure where, like, because, like, again, he was a terrible person and he was a megalomaniac and he did absolutely believe in his own hype. And so he's also a person where the the notoriety, which he deliberately cultivated, that he loved that reputation of being the wickedest man in the world, has completely overshadowed any interesting uh genuinely sort of interesting sort of uh, insights that he may have discovered and tried to share with the world and what this and this is very much a film of 
the notoriety of Alistair Crowley. Um, the word Thelema is not used in this film. The book of the law is not mentioned in this film. The expression, do what thou wilt, should be the whole of the law, I think literally is used maybe once. I think, and it is literally at the start of the film. I'm not sure if it is ever actually used again. Because the the, the guy in this film, Alistair Crowley, is an evil, perverted wizard um, who's really into piss and shit. And the thing is... The thing is, the historical Alistair Crowley was actually all of those things, but this film is only concerned with that. There is no, like I said, that other than that brief appearance at the beginning, there's no substance to this film whatsoever. And there's no attempt at depicting Crowley as the person that he was, who was a person of of consequence, of real cultural consequence. And this guy is uh, this guy is not that. He is a guy who will shit on your desk. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. One of the things I don't, Sean, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, well, what I mean, like, I'm not wrong about this. One of the things that they they bring up in the context of the film is that he's been many people. He's like, he's like this uh, presumably powerful wizard at some point in time, or possibly some like you know elemental force or whatever, who's just like occupied the bodies of significant men and done like magic in various times. And he was like kind of a priest in Egypt. He was. Uh, is it Kamuostro? Yes. He was yes. a lifeless levy. Levy. Yes. Uh, he was. Um, yeah, he claimed John, to... Jack D or like John Kelly or something. And he was. Did, yeah. Wait, yeah. Did he actually say that? He's. I don't think he says it in the film, but he was. He did say Edward Kelly was one of his past lives. Right. Yeah, because yeah, he, because the. Um, um, Western esotericism, as it existed in Crowley's lifetime, was very much. It, it was. It's. It's. Um, it, it's heavily influenced by Hermeticism and the Kabbalah, which are what we would call sort of like the more like traditional Western influences on the occult. But this is also the time when um, Eastern ideas, Vedic and Buddhist ideas, are really entering into like the common intellectual marketplace in a big way. Um, and like they weren't the foot like Crowley wasn't the first person to do this. You know, this kind of is a process that started like starts in earnest with people like Madame Blavatsky. Uh, and even Schopenhauer actually was, was was famously really influenced by the the first Latin translation of the of the Vedas, I think it is, and the and some of the Buddhist uh, Pali canon. And so but so when Crowley is active, when he's wizarding, um, you know, <laughs> it's like all of these Eastern ideas as received through the lens of the Victorian worldview are part of occultism now. And this isn't especially coherent, but like if you are going to be a spiritual master, an occult master at this point, you are, you know, you can remember all of your past lives because that's, you know, and Buddhas are able to do that, you know, um, even though sort of like stuff about that metempsychosis, um, transmigration of souls, isn't an especially big element in Western esotericism up until that point, you know, it's, it's very, but like, this is what, what you are at this point. Like you can do, you, you're, uh, you're not just, uh, um, a magister templi, you're also a, a yogi and a guru, um, and, and so on. And it's very much, and this is like, and like, like Thela might sometimes talk about Thelema as being a kind of alchemical, chemical synthesis of western and eastern religious ideas uh and that's certainly like how crowley would understand it because he does view himself as being the inheritor of of everything of the entirety of the world's esoteric uh inheritance and theosophy 
viewed itself as that as well uh, i should say like theosophy was always a lot more respectable than Thelema and, and like um uh, uh, madam madame blavatsky was widely regarded as, as a fraud you know even her in her own lifetime like she like she regarded herself as that you know sort of like an inheritor of the ancient uh perennial esoteric tradition and just um just expressing it anew for the, for this particular uh for this particular era so yes yeah, so that's kind of like the context of of those statements about reincarnation yeah it was kind of at this time as well that, like, well, I mean, like, Fraser's Golden Bell was, like, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. kind of still regarded as one of, like, the big texts. And it was, like, that was one of the first, to my understanding, first texts where it was, like, it was presenting as, like, uh, all myth cycles and things can be traced through kind of, like, consistent lines. And, like, they, you know, these sort of um, parallels would emerge. And so, like, if you understood one thing, you kind of could just like haphazardly apply it as um, as Fraser did to other things and kind of fill in a lot of blanks because it kind of, I don't know, like in the same way that this film handles physics, it treats like uh, history and anthropology as like the, 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 the science of vibes. It's very vibe. This is a very vibes-based film. This is very vibes-based occultism. And uh, yeah, the other thing to be said about this film is um, like in terms of the actual like plot. So I mentioned in the beginning, it starts off with old Alistair Crowley dying. So what are we talking about with like with, with Simon Callow playing Alistair Crowley? Well, that's because in this film, um, in the the modern, in the present day, and we'll get on to what present day they actually mean later. I'm sure um, Simon Callow plays a uh, a classics lecturer uh at cambridge at uh university cambridge and uh through a virtual reality machine um he becomes possessed by the spirit of alistair crowley a virtual reality machine which if i follow the plot correctly is the work of this american guy who is both a quantum physicist and a virtual reality computer scientist at the same time yeah that's gans yeah. Yes. Uh, and pretty common over just here, like... actually. Yeah, it's a, it's a typical career path for undergrad. <laughs> like, yeah, there's no, no, actually no, that's a complete tangent. But like, yeah, like PhDs take like seven years to get, and you can kind of in the states, and you can pull in a lot of other themes in that process, <laughs> like in that period. <laughs> I don't, yeah, completely off plot, plot, but like, no, like I think one of the key things about it is like. It's doing that thing of like, oh yeah, science is the new magic, and there's a way of kind of like merging like science and magic through science meeting in the in the ether. But it's like the way they actually describe it, literally at one point in the film, is like they just put in all of they just put it in the code. And they just put like bits of like the book of the law just like into the data set, and then that opens up. There's like it's like oh yeah, so now our now our VR now our metaverse is literally magic. Yeah, it's it, it's a film um, about the metaverse. It's, it's a film about the metaverse. That's what that's what this is about. <laughs> yeah. If if you if you like Web three and you like peeing on strangers, you're going to love Chemical Wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and the metaverse. And the metaverse. print that on the back of the DVD box. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, kind of, I think it was, like, in the preamble we were talking about, not preamble, like, before we started recording, we were talking about, like, how this is, this is, for some reason, this is the very, very kind of, like, technology of the film Hackers, um, in oh, terms, yeah. you know, yeah. ni- very, very 90s conception of, like, how computers worked, and, and, like, I mean, it's significant, like, at the time, you know, the metaverse, that was from, that's, like, that's literally directly from Snow Crash, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, that yeah. was kind of, yeah, that mm-hmm. was the origin of this, this stuff, and, 
Well, you know, the origin of that was like OG, like '90s Silicon Valley, California ideology kind of shit. Um, and yeah, which had its own roots in kind of like you know Caltech and its Scientology and all this. You know, it's yeah, it has its own kind of occult lineage, which in fact finds its way back to Alistair Crowley. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah, because the this is the thing. Like, I'm not. It would be it would be too generous to say there's a ghost of a good film in here because there isn't. Um, but you can. I mean, this is actually something I want to talk about. Is um, uh, why is this the only film about Alistair Crowley? You know, like, <laughs> um, because and it does. And I, my my grand theory of this is because like, it, it, is that Crowley is just this like this figure who can't be assimilated into the culture industry you know like he is actually too extreme like too out there to to be domesticated and commodified somehow but um but yeah just to but not to go off quite on that uh point quite yet because i want to pick up what you were saying there about the california thing because and um, yeah i because, feel like that that should be explained like yes because um, what yeah the, so because a figure who is mentioned several times in this film and there's a fascinating guy uh in his own right is jack parsons yes. and by a really really re- incredible synchronicity um the current last podcast on the left series was started this friday is about jack parsons Synchronicity. Uh, it is literally so that is magic is actually real like um yeah uh yeah and, and it was happening that yeah happening through podcasts there so jack parsons like jack parsons <laughs> is um he actually is all of those things in terms of sort of like being this a, a guy who attempts to fuse science and magic uh because he was both um, a Thelemite. He was a practical magician. He was the head of the of uh, the Agape Lodge of the OTO in California. That was just Crowley's magical um, fraternal society. His 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 magical Freemasonry, uh, and and he was also a rocket scientist, literally a rocket scientist. He was one of the founding members of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. He was one of the pioneers of liquid fuel rocketry, like. And he would also, but he would begin before each rocket launch by reciting Crowley's hymn to Pan. He actually, he was actually doing all of these things. And I I haven't seen it, but there is a TV show about him called Strange Angel. I don't know if it's good. It only ran for two seasons, which is based on the book. And I can't remember, called Strange Angel as well. And I can't remember who wrote it, I'm afraid, which I haven't read. Um, but yeah, Jack Parsons actually is kind of who they want this film to be about in some ways i was actually um, gonna i think i've got in my notes like this is really more of a film about jack parsons like despite um, the fact he isn't in it but yes you, you the, well, the, that he, sounds like i'm being rude to you but no like genuinely despite the fact he's not in it this is more of a film about jack parsons in some ways and that character i forget his name but you know the crowley's acolyte guy like that's 100 percent him like <laughs> Well, I said Except, no, well, no, no, no. I'm not nah, gonna... not one hundred percent him, but like in terms of like you know, like the Sith, there's always two of them. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, oh, okay, being, yeah, yeah. In bad he's being the Jack, yeah. he's the Jack Parsons in this context, in the same way Jack Parsons to uh, Crowley was like the Doctor John D to Ned Kelly, in that um, if you contact you know the elementals and the things in the ethers, they're just gonna tell you to that Crowley needs to fuck your wife. Like, <laughs> of the universe yeah. uh, uh, that there's happens. a lot of, Absolutely. Uh, 
And the other thing as well with Jack Parsons, and this is something that um, last podcast will cover when, when they when they get to it. I'm really excited that they're, they're doing this series, actually. <laughs> when we do t- just a separate episode on Chemical Wedding, because we hate ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, but yeah, basically, like, where the, where one of the, absolutely bizarre things about Jack Parsons' life, and this is entirely true, is that he was friends and business partners and magical partners with L. Ron Hubbard before Hubbard founded Scientology. And the two of them together engaged on an occult ritual called the Babylon Working. The idea, the, the, the principle behind, and the, the idea of the Babylon Working is that basically it results in the creation of the Antichrist. Literally, the Antichrist, the, um, the moon child, the elemental being who will uh, come into the world and will f- complete the overthrow of, Christ- of Christianity so that the new religion can dawn. Um, and there is a reference, and at the beginning of the film, um, Old Crowley gets a letter from, and he just calls him our brethren in California. Yeah, yeah. And he reads it and just goes, What? No, it seems our Californian brethren has fallen in with a writer of science fiction. Um, <laughs> and incidentally, the Church of Scientology um, do acknowledge that Hubbard was involved with that world they say that sort of he was involved in breaking up what they call black lodges like black magic lodges but he was this is one of the but if you want to get really really wiggity about scientology actually which i encourage everybody to do because it's one of those things that I'm it's far more interesting with. than actually it's, joining scientology yeah do not become a scientologist do <laughs> yeah. not give them do not, not give them any of your yeah, personal do not details. give those people your but, credit card information whatever you do <laughs> that's that's the weird but, signal, and I do hope Horror Vanguard line on Scientology. Don't. <laughs> agreed, Just not agreed, even once. Yeah. But the thing with it, like, I don't, I do, I do believe that in some bizarre way, like, Hubbard was attempting to establish his own version of hermeticism of Rosicrucianism through like the lens of science fiction and self-help because of just like the gradated structure that Scientology follows the the Scientology cross looks a hell of a lot like the the hermetic rose cross um and the and in particular the thing that really like really sort of like um threw me out when I discovered that is the according to one like defect from Scientology what you the original for version of OT8 which is the highest level of Scientology that's presently given out the original uh, he was said this guy said he was one of the original people to go through OT, OT8 which was after Hubbard died in which Hubbard declares himself to be so, I am the Antichrist, spoken of by the Book of Revelation. My task on this planet is to complete the overthrow of Christianity so that the new the new era, the new epoch can dawn. Uh he says that Jesus was actually a paedophile. And like it's all of this is absolutely fucking batshit, obviously. But it also sounds very, very Crowleyan. <laughs> That's the like it does there's a lot of me that does actually and I don't mean this I know this can sound a bit conspiratorial, but I just think this is where Hubbard's getting his shtick from. Is that I think it is just this kind of Attempt at doing his own kind of like unauthorized spin off of Thelema in, in, in lots of ways because I know it is one hundred percent yeah, um, yeah sorry I kind of like wanted to interject there and the like I kind of was also kind of uh, when prepping notes for this episode very much felt like oh it's gonna there's a really interesting comparison that could be made between Crowley and um, and Hubbard and I think kind of like my main point I would make with that is that we've talked you know. We've rightly said, yes, Alistair Crowley, fucking terrible guy, and like deeply kind of exploitative of um 
of like the people around him and also yeah like like i talked about like magic as the the science being the science of vibes and that like if you can bring some like discipline or interesting kind of secondary knowledge to vibe with it it's um you know that's useful but at the same time it's kind of like there's no kind of set criteria and the only real judge of uh qualification in anything is ultimately oneself and it's really about kind of like how how, the how one can understand themselves or you know through themselves understand the universe or whatever and you know that's you know it it drifts into solipsism but it's like in the in the sense that it's as good as what you bring into it garbage in garbage out as the old programmers say but um but like the difference i would make with like crowley is that he exploited people but like in the interest of getting what he needed to continue his project whereas and you know and sort of maybe no more you know maybe a lot more than that but um but it wasn't this kind of like insane capitalist money machine um but it kind of that you know scientology obviously became and was always intended to become but like it had the potential to become that um which uh ron hubbard saw and you know just borrowed the mechanism fully formed in the way that a lot of cult leaders do in the way that you know manson did from like the sort of i think he stole pretty much his entire ideology from some like kind of um the process um the process judge but there was also just like some charismatic preachers before that and yeah 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 yeah. it's like it's it's a familiar pattern i mean jim jones did a similar thing but um but yeah it's very you know vibes it's the science of vibes but um and the other thing about it it's like yeah i would describe um there was i don't know like that just reminded me as well in terms of like, you know, how can we conceive of L. Ron Hubbard being satanic? Um, there's a thing that it was, there was a letter exchange between, I believe, Anton LaVey and, oh, fuck, Aquino? Michael Aquino? Yes, um, where, like, guy. Yeah, yeah, And Michael Aquino was saying like, yeah, your, you know, your brand of Satanism is worthless and like how, and also pretty fucking bold of you to claim, you know, to be an authority on what is and isn't satanic. But also um, Aquino, I think, I think I've got this the right way around, actually acknowledged like, so your followers are bullshit and your order is bullshit, but you yourself are actually a genuine Satanist for the sheer, sheer merit of having got these people to follow you. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, you know, and like been, been kind of like a trickster, a deceiver and like, you know, exerted your will on the world and like, I don't know, like, yeah, that's the comparison to be made um, between them. But like um, L. Ron Hubbard's like victim, you know, kind of collateral in that process was orders of magnitudes higher than Crowley's. But anyway, um, there's there's <laughs> almost with, with Crowley and the question of, of profiting off of Thelema, there's almost a kind of like old world, old aristocracy contempt for money. Oh, yeah. From Crowley. 100%. But also, but like also he- a desperate need for it. <laughs> Yes, like he, it's, um, I mean, like I said, you know, he was an inherited, like he inherited, like, I don't know what it is in modern money, but he inherited like a, con- a considerable fortune when he was quite young because his father died when he was only a child. So he inherited it, well, I think, when he was 21. And he literally spends the whole, the whole of it over the course of his life on being a magician and just having lots of sex and drugs <laughs> and just traveling the world and composing, getting his horrible poetry self published. Yeah, self self publishing. Um, <laughs> Self-publishing um, is terrible poetry. <laughs> <laughs> who, who among oh, us? Yeah, he, who like, among it, us? Who among us would, if given the same opportunity, would not be doing something similar? 
just we are literally podcasting right now i just want to put that on the record we're doing what would have been done today instead of self-publishing shitty poetry his first book of poetry is that this gives you a, a this like tells you everything you need to know about him it's called white stains and that is like the innuendo of like yeah like, it's come it's come stains and he had to get published <laughs> He had to get it published abroad because of obscenity laws. Because a lot of it, because and it's also like a lot of it is. I mean, I've, I've not read White Stains, but it's not just like. I mean, there is just like gay sex in it, so obviously that's like a a no no for the time. But it's also just like shit eating and stuff in it. Like he's got this like something about Crow. This is this is something that Crowley always had with him. Appears to be just an obsession with feces. Like he just found feces really erotic and just kind of fascinating which is um i'm sorry listeners but yeah um there was like there was like i said there was a bit in this film he just takes a shit on someone's desk um well well you br- you've, yeah, you've, you've opened the door to this now you've opened this, the, the door to this now and there is the moment where actually before we jump to the to the moment of the of the lecture scene shall we say I do. Th- I do think there's something <laughs> something super interesting what both of you've been saying about the ways in which this film oh, kind of this film kind of restages the tension between Californian hermeticism versus the old world of of English occultism as a conflict that's mediated technologically. Uh, therefore, your magic vibes box can basically give you a brand new personality. Um, but we should definitely talk about Simon Callow's amazing lecture on Hamlet's psychology and what we think about that. <laughs> Do you, Lucy, do you just want to point out the fact that this, like you said to me, that yeah, this guy so, is meant to be a classics professor, however. <laughs> at, at no point do they do classics. Like, they talk about Julius Caesar, but they're talking about Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, and the only kind of, like, <laughs> classics insights are just, like, a completely unprompted non-secretary about, like, satanic pedophile rings. That, which is, like, it's kind so of, I like, want, you I know. want to explain that line. Literally, he asks, <laughs> what does Shakespeare mean about the line, the sins of the father? And she says, oh, that definitely means pedophiles. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so in the same way they don't understand what quantum mechanics is, they also... I think it feels like their understanding of classics is penguin classics. And (laughs) that's like... that's Well, that's a thing. It's like, you know, as I mentioned, this is kind of like, you know, Neo-Python scene. And like, Bruce Dickinson definitely studied classics, uh, or at least, you know, was adjacent to that. But like, yeah, it's like... They talk, it's about the psychology of Midsummer Night's Dream and like, yeah, what the, what, it's just, well, I guess, yeah, it's that thing of just, you know, um, standard career path. Um, maybe that's the kind of like transatlantic kind of influence that is really underscoring this film. So but, the, um, the, yeah. the lecture, the lecture, it's about, it's on the subject of the psychology of Hamlet. And he just says, um, Oh God! What does he say? So like, Hamlet Shakespeare is... was an occultist. Yes, yes. William Shakespeare <laughs> was an occultist, and uh, actually, Hamlet is a man moved to action by a ghost. And then he <laughs> recites. Uh, this is a, this was a real Crowley poem. He recites his version of the "to be or not to be" soliloquy, which in Crowley's version is "to pee or not D- to get pee. it, get it." And then <laughs> what a fucking edge yeah, lord. And then. <laughs> 
And then he pisses over everybody in the the lecture hall. Truly, Aleister Crowley uh, walked so that Gigi Allen could run. I think that's one of the conclusions I take from this film. Okay, you're going to have to enlighten me as to who Gigi Allen is. What? Okay, so so take take Aleister (laughs) Crowley. Uh Remove everything British. Make him American and make him infinitely more violent and also infinitely more insane. Okay. Uh, and then and then make him a horrible punk rock musician on top of that, and an even worse person. You had my interest. Uh, now you have my attention. <laughs> that's 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 the stew we're stirring here. If you if you're into peeing on strangers who don't consent to that and eating your own feces, you'll love the music of Gigi Allen. <laughs> <laughs> we're a theory podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we're talking about the we're complicated stuff today. In our like own. The, yeah. Like Alistair punk- Crowley to Gigi yeah. Allen pipeline. Yeah. Yeah, it's all there. It's all there. Who had the pipeline? <laughs> he he. After when he's like hauled up in front of the board, um, to like give account for himself, he just says, "In ten years' time, as the only lecture any of those students could possibly remember," which is is likely true. Or if it's, they're just yes. sort of like, like it just sent me back, like thinking about what lectures yeah. can I remember? And I remember one of my the only one that just immediately came to mind was a philosophy of language lecture at the end of the year, where one of the students brought in. A, a Jaeger bomb for the lecturer as a kind of little like, well, hey, let's let's go partying, eh? And of course, the guy being like a stuffy academic had no idea what one of these was and not realising that the idea of a Jaeger bomb is you you down it in one to get the buzz. He was just sipping it over the course of the <laughs> over the course of the lecture, visibly grimacing each time he did so because it's well, it's, it's Red Bull with 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 German herbal schnapps mixed into it. So it's disgusting. It sort of it sort of reminds me. But he didn't piss on us. Yeah. He didn't piss on us. <laughs> Though, so. I was going to ask the important question, but thank you for beating me. To I, it's, it. it sort of reminds me of like the reputation of the CCRU's early conference papers, where it's like someone lying under a desk and just yelling as like they play jungle music really loud. Like you know, at least you remember that. At least you remember that at the conference, rather than yet another kind of very sedate and boring panel. But when he's when he's hauled up in front of these people, they all turn into sort of like. I, I, can we talk about when this? What kind of academics are we dealing with here? When is this film set? Okay, well, it was like originally, cons- like I, it was written in two thousand one, hence the kind of very nineties vibe to the the thing. But it's well, I mean, do we want to give away the ending? It's set in the alternate. No, it is two thousand. It's the it's the Bush Gore election, yeah, right? right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. Because the yeah. one of the things that is used as a framing, as not a framing device, but to like set the the context is you see newspapers that say um, talking about you know like the the balance that was hanging in Florida, you know, because that was you know sort of depending so depending which way Florida went or how I can't remember exactly what, but you know if that was like it was either be Bush or Gore um, who become president, and we see at the end of the film as a result of them defeating Alistair Crowley and banishing him to <laughs> an, another parallel universe. <laughs> Um, you see a newspaper, and because there's a line from the guy saying, "Sort of like, oh, you know, in the universe he exists in, it will be a horrible, war-torn, terrible place." So the camera just pans over the newspaper that says Al Gore wins, becomes U.S. president. It's amazing! What, so, a, what an incredible detail! So really, this is a film about the truly, really, this is a film about the war in Iraq and 9/11. <laughs> oh wait, no, I have a, I have an addendum to that. In the okay, immediately after the piss scene, uh, it cuts to like. One of the various dons, like, 
I think he's in his office just having a, a private like string concerto happen for him, or he's supervising yes. the mu- the music site team or whatever they whatever these fuckers do. And um and the you know someone another another of the fellows just like comes in leans over whispers something in his ear and then he's like and it's clearly like oh you know Haddo's pissed all over the students <laughs> uh but he goes like oh, okay what and like they framed it exactly like um George Bush <laughs> receiving the news an, of a like plane. a second <laughs> plane has yes. hit the has hit the the, the towers yeah, yeah, uh, uh, because it's 9-11. I, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Professor, a second pisser has hit the students. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, that's a... Yeah, formalism. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, just nothing more to add to that. That's just like, yeah, that's... That was inspired by something, but by the events of 9-11, I guess, but, yeah. God. Sorry, so... <laughs> I don't know what it is about like if they have like some feedback muting but occasionally it'll just, I just I'm just getting abject silence and or absolute silence unless someone is speaking so it just feels like I'm complete if I, if I seem to be kind of like uh, nervously kind of like filling space it's because I think like you know I'm dying up here um, <laughs> but no I, occasionally I'm gonna like oh yeah yeah it's no we're, thing, we're all still here we're all still here we're all just kind of like in cool. a state of you know, psychic sh- shell shock trying to process this. The, it's true. The longer you think about this, the weirder this film gets. Um, but mostly because I, I actually think it's weirdly quite good at explaining what Cambridge University is like. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it's like, yeah, this is this. Yeah, I mean, it seems it seems fairly reasonable that this is how they would respond to occult experimentation and the resurrection of Aleister Crowley. Um, I love the idea that the biggest problem is not that, um, oh, uh, it seems that that terrible rogue, Alistair Crowley, is back from the dead. The, ter- the big problem is he describes himself as England's greatest living poet. And, er- and everyone's like, <laughs> well, now that's, that's the crazy bit. <laughs> <laughs> the evil that men do lives uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh dear they've also like it and because there's a lot of there's a lot of plot points which feel like they were maybe meant to go somewhere and don't like something that is kind of like established is that um all of these like senior figures at cambridge on the board of freemasons yeah, yeah, yeah. and having like masonic rituals and so on and like the climax of the film the chemical wedding which uh, i won't try to explain what it is because it's stupid and <laughs> fake but the it takes place in like a masonic hall but it's it, but it doesn't actually it's completely inconsequential to the plot it's literally just sort of like oh they're freemasons and we will say nothing more would we'll say nothing more about that. There will be something that does not matter for the rest of this film. And like if a better film would like maybe I don't know Magical a, Conflict. A, they get the sword. Uh, out. A better film. Just a better film. Oh god, I don't know. Yeah, like there's so many things like <laughs> on paper there's a lot of things in this film which are kind of interesting. Like, yeah, you could do something about like that idea oh actually like weird witchy esoteric stuff is actually really ingrained in like English institutional life through things like masonry or that virtual reality and computers are kind of weird. I don't know. Like, but it's just uh yeah, but it's just, but just obviously not like, as as you would have realize at this point that just none of these things happen in this film oh god the i do have okay i have one smart point 
I have I have my smart person podcast point that I might as well bring up here, which is something I mentioned kind of in passing earlier, and which is again just like why is this the only film about Alistair Crowley? Because there, I mean, that like there are other films that like are about like the Dennis Wheatley fictionalizations of, of Crowley and so on. But like I said, it feels like there's something about Crowley which makes him kind of unassimilable uh, for the for the culture industry because, and it's especially odd because his life is so cinematic. Like it's such a it's a ridiculous life that he had, travel like traveling all over the world, having orgies and climbing mountains and composing um, books of uh, occult rituals and so on. Like there's so much like you'd think there would be more mind from it and there have been some like there have been some graphic novels and stuff which are quite good but there's not really been there hasn't been any attempt to really just do a thing about him in a in a serious straight-faced way and the other thing and and i think in some ways he he reminds me a lot of william burroughs in in one um, aspect in particular, which is like I've mentioned, you know, Crowley, Crowley was bisexual. He was very, he was very, very, very queer. He was very queer, and and Burroughs obviously was, you know, literally wrote wrote, wrote a book called Queer. Like Burroughs, fa- fa- famously a queer as well. But neither of them are really afforded status in the canon of queer literature. I mean, Crowley because he was a terrible writer, um, obviously a little <laughs> bit, but. He's not regarded, despite the fact of like his open, brazen, and very like polemical um, bisexuality. He isn't regarded as being like a queer forefather. And maybe that's our job as podcasters to bring about somehow. As well, well, and and similarly, Burroughs is like. Although, if we were to go to Waterstones. Queer, the novel Queer by Burroughs would probably be in the LGBTQIA plus section. But Naked Lunch wouldn't be, or and Cities of the Red Knight wouldn't be, despite those being books which very, very are about about dudes fucking dudes. Like there's a lot of that in those books, and it feels like because of the act, the fact that they were, these were people who, like again, both of them are terrible people, but they were people who lived lives which were actually dangerous lives for themselves. Like they, there was always the prospect. In Bur- I mean, Burroughs obviously his entire uh, most of his adult life is spent. Um, grappling with his heroin addiction a lot of Crowley's life is spent grappling with his heroin addiction as well obviously but also the fact that both of them are frequently putting themselves in great personal and psychological danger through their experimentation and their exploration of just the possibilities of life and experience it does feel like even within even within queer culture it feels like there is something just too much about them to assimilate them into cultural products which and it's, it's weird that that'd be the case but because like when for example oscar wilde there's no problem with doing that with oscar wilde despite the fact that like you know most of his relationships well not maybe not most but a lot of his relationships were pederastic they were with children you know like but we don't seem to be bothered about embracing him again you know as like a queer forefather even if we and the phone i know there is more like awareness of that side of him now than there was uh previously and and uh i think like maybe likewise like thomas mann as well who, who you know we you know did you know did have pederastic urges listen think to our episode on death and on. yeah exactly exactly but these are but like people like burroughs and, and crowley they don't get that status and i do think it is because they represent limit cases like genuine I don't, I don't mean like limits and the out like 
the like stretch of a definition of queerness, but I mean like examples of just genuine people living as limits almost, as people living against the limits of experience and possibility. And I think there is something about Crowley and and, and Burroughs where it's just it's just they're just too much. They're just too much to really think about because they just because like Crowley is 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 going out there and like regardless of what you you know regardless of whether you believe in the existence of other planes or whatnot like he is if nothing else he is really pushing the possibilities of consciousness and subjective experience to their breaking point with what he's doing with with his magical workings with his experimentation with drugs and with ritual sex and so on which Burroughs is also doing as well and that yeah and I think I think to go back to why is it there a film about Alistair Crowley except for this one and this being just the caricature of Crowley this just being the one-dimensional Simon Callow Crowley um I think that is it I think it is because there is they are like they're like both these men are just they're, they're grit in the lens you know like they're just they are just these these damaging commentary um presences almost I think I think it goes Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that totally tracks. I think it goes some way to explaining why this film is so disappointing, right? Because it 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 could have been like it could have been like super fawning and like very um, hagiographical, and could have been like yes, he was he was the the great beast. He was, or it could have been like uh, it could have it could have been you know he was a, he was a fraud. He was this kind of like uh, pathetic figure that shouldn't be kind of held. And instead, it's this. It's not even. It's not even fawning. It's just this very kind of like. Uh, it 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 refuses to do one thing or the other, and it misses out all of the kind of as you as you put it, the kind of like interesting texture of of Crowley as a as a kind of figure. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Because there is. Um, yes. I mean, that's it, really. Because like he, because he is, and I think because he is also just genuinely evil like he he was an evil person and i don't mean that because like you trafficking with dead with entities from the outer darkness I, I mean like he just destroyed most people who were ever close to him and was like like we've said was was deeply exploitative of of women uh as, as well as well as uh queer men had um like like chill like um i think several i think more than one of his children died of just basically neglects because he was just would be spiteful and wouldn't give money to like like the women and so on, and and that's an in, that's an interesting guy to make a film about. And we get the Dennis Wheatley camped up evil pervy sex wizard, but not even like a very <laughs> well. Okay, there is sex stuff in it, but like he's also. And I think other than a bit from the John Trapman stuff at the beginning, there's no like he's not queer. You know, he's kind of well, he's camp, he's flamboyant, but so is um. I know, so 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 are most hammer villains, you know, like there's like this they've they've kind of like oh they've subtracted that. And interestingly, there's there's a lot of like quite dumb references to Crowley related things in it for like the names of characters. Like the American scientist is called Mathers, which is a reference to S. L. McGregor Mathers, who's one of the founders mm-hmm. of the Golden Dawn. And his assistant is um Victor. I'm not sure if he's given the, the surname Neuberg, but like that's a reference to Victor Neuberg, who was one of Crowley's lovers and magical uh, disciples, his uh, one of his Anakin Skywalkers, and uh, who again is someone who Crowley just completely dis- destroys, like just um, absolutely leaves his soul in pieces at the end of it all. Um, uh, yeah, so there's, 
Yeah. Oh, God, I don't know. I don't know what point I'm making. It's a bad film. It's a bad film. <laughs> a valid point. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think they're taking Crowley's character and they're almost making the the MCU version of him. They're 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 sanding off all the rough edges and they're, and they're making this kind of rollable spheric Crowley that's not going. <laughs> it's it's going to hit the mark. It's going. He's going to be a spooky pervy wizard man that you don't like. But we're Has going Neil to c- been kind of recraft that. Trying to do that for like twenty years at this point or something. I don't know. I just like occasionally I. I ignore most of what comes out of Neil Gaiman, but like occasionally it'll cross my radar. It's like, oh, he's done another thing about Crowley. I'm... <laughs> yeah, Sandman was good, but that's about. Right. I'm, this isn't this isn't the place for my. We are. Uh, we are just yeah. um, we're way it's a very over safe space for those uh, an hour now. Do we want to? Do we want to kind of like offer some final thoughts? Um, I have one thing that I meant to bring up in my spiel about like Julian Doyle being. So interesting that, well, like, interesting enough as a guy that I wish this were a better film, and I felt bad about mocking it so relentlessly. Uh, well, one, he, actually two things. One, he he did a book in 2016 where he, like, came up with some very off-the-wall theories about the crucifixion based on his experiences of making Life of Brian. Uh, the other thing is that he directed the Kate Bush cloud-busting video, um, which I'm sorry, I didn't what? mention. <laughs> He directed the Kate Bush video for Cloud Busting, where it's like you've done some sort of forced perspective to make her look like a child with um, Donald Sutherland. And but that's a good video. It's what? a good How video. How much orgone have we generated today is <laughs> yeah. the real question. And um, I think there was some sort of... We were talking about Burroughs. Burroughs, another person who is very interested in... Um, in uh, like well, Wilhelm Reich and his ideas about organ energy, mm-hmm. and like proposed mm-hmm. like organ accumulators as a cure for like um, heroin, like well, like coming off heroin uh, and Scientology. Like Bar- yeah. Boris, he did take yeah. some Scientology classes. Synchronicities. Mm. Um, that's actually this. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot, but yeah, we are also like in in yeah, <laughs> we're going over time, but yeah, that was my final thought. <laughs> Uh, ask Sean that, what that, about that you guys that is a jarring and potent <laughs> final thought there <laughs> any other any other closing closing commentary on our our what, what, what do we even I don't I still haven't figured out what to call this movie this like weird Aleister Crowley CCRU biopic <laughs> uh, there's there's I think that would be a way more interesting film of like the CC, you know, yes. if this wasn't set in Cambridge, but was set in yeah, Warwick. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. in, in like 10 years earlier, that would actually be a banger. I would watch that. And it's like, and he just like, and Nick and the Victor character is replaced with like Nick Land played by the same actor. L- Lucy, I've literally been dying to say that this entire episode, but I've made too many <laughs> Nick Land jokes lately. So thank you so much. <laughs> Uh, cool. Well, that was yeah. the best part of the episode. Yeah, I love what has what has kind of like capped Weird Signal and Horror Vanguard coming together is laughing about Nick Land because I think Naturally. I think that's just beautiful. It's the it's the, the the two arms, the two the handshake move. <laughs> Weird Signal, Horror Vanguard, pissing ourselves laughing about Nick Land. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, what fun! What uh, fun! Uh, Okay, what where well, where can where can people find find you both find the show? How can people listening to this 
give you some of the hard-earned money to support what you do? Uh, well, we've paused the Patreon because I had to go back to... Well, I didn't have to go back to uni, but I went back to uni, but I, I finished now. Um, but so we're, we're getting around to it. Maybe like sometime, maybe before the year's end, we'll be back on the back on the podcasting. Well, technically, as we speak, we are back on the podcasting game. But like, uh, we, we're on Twitter. But as long as Twitter exists, we'll be there. Um, and... God, actually, no, we've not set up any post-Twitter contingencies, um, but it's at, we are at Weird Signal Pod, all one word, right? It wasn't, if you search weird, W-Y-R-D underscore signal, it'll bring you to the SoundCloud page where we do the RSS feed from and you can, and you know, we're available on like iTunes and basically any podcasting app and for now, Twitter. And um, also, all of our episodes are available to download in case um, the internet just, like, dies, as I have apocalyptically <laughs> predicted several times for apropos of nothing. Um, but, yeah, that's that's about it. And, like, yeah, we have some other podcasts. So, Sean, you... Wait, what? what what's the situation with Buddies Without Organs right now? Um, It's... Um, I, well, we haven't officially said that it's it's, it's not happening, but it is it isn't happening. Um, but, it, but hopefully, it will come back one day. But um, just you know, various stuff going on in people's lives just sort of ended up sort of like uh, as as often happens with podcasts, ended up taking over. So so at, at the moment, this is so weird signal, which I, which you know we're not doing at the moment is my only podcast all but, the same. But yeah, we'll never um, be free from that. We'll never be free from it. it, it we, we will die, <laughs> podcasters. Um, mm. But yeah. You can, um, but yeah, you can find like weird signal through the methods that Lucy just described. You can find me on Twitter at Horntonaut. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Horntonaut. That's the end of that. You can I don't find me on Twitter at I'm Madam Curtis, Madam underscore Curtis. It was, uh, yeah, although I think I'm set to private, so don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, and wait, no, Sean, we we. We have a different podcast because we're okay. So like, uh, oh, do you want to talk? We're about also fugue doing states? fugue states. Uh, so our buddy Rich um, and I, we've got like one episode out already. So that's fugue states. Um, I think we like shared it on the SoundCloud page and, and explain stuff, what but, it's yeah. about, Lucy. Uh, we talk about like weird and or failed like state building projects, um, like sort of micronations or just various like weird like i know often we seem to be just like doing entirely like libertarianism and fascism and when and where they meet um so we have one episode on gulch gulch chile um and we have another coming out at some point it's recorded we just you know we've been it's been a lot lately (laughs) yeah and sean's podcasting sean's gonna be involved in that at some point i'm sure because it's like it's how can he not like we are podcasters we just we just yeah we this is what we do it's in our blood we we must continue to build the monument to our sins that is an ever-growing podcast library i I completely (laughs) agree with that yeah well um i suppose so um from me all i all this left to say is uh, love is the law love under will um Thou hast no right but to do thy will. Do that and no other shall, <laughs> shall say, nay. say nay. Every man and every woman <laughs> is a star. Do you remember I when could... we, like, yeah, so tiny bit of, 
Lucy's Sean history. We we alienated a lot of people in a pub garden by reciting the entire Lieber Oz. Um, <laughs> Oz, the law of the strong. This is our law and the joy, joy of, the, of world. the world. I think I think we've that's when we let's not do this now. Go listen no, to current not. 93. <laughs> Listen to the current 93 song, Crowley Mass. Um, H- with the one with the HOH remix. It's like Heinrich yeah. Oscar Heinrichsen or something. Yeah, it's uh, uh, on yeah. the album Ice. No, it's. Uh, uh, yeah, just put it to YouTube. Mix, mix, mix version. We can just share <laughs> yeah, this in mix, the show mix, notes. Mix. We'll put it in the show notes. It's really fun. It's <laughs> yeah, there's the outro music. And uh, also. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, banger. <laughs> Oh, God. oh well thank you everyone thank you yeah. denizens of the outer dark thank you all of you wonderful occult weirdos for tuning into today's episode uh yeah listen to weird signal listen listen to the the shadow remnants of bodies without organs i don't know i don't know i think that's it's all the news that's horror vanguard to- yeah oh yeah we have yeah, a podcast do that. too listen to horror vanguard the podcast you're currently listening to it there's hundreds of our episodes it's, now. It's like there's, weird, it's like so weird signal, we just for. not as good. <laughs> that's that's. A... <laughs> but kind no, of so like... horror vanguard is weird signal if we knew what we were doing or cared to find out. Like... <laughs> it's like there's a there's a reason oh, why you have over a hundred episodes at this point, and we're we're, we're like about thirty three, <laughs> if we include this. Um, so, yeah. We are, yeah. There we go. Also, you guys are really good. Like, I'm just going to put that out there. Like, yeah, the, I'm, yeah. Aww, Maybe this is for after you. the show, but like, yeah. And yeah, and uh, thank you for, uh, thank you for having for us. For having us uh, on. Having us on. Literally any time. This has been not only edifying, but also hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> after school PSA outro complete. We hope you've enjoyed the Dread Discourse. Until next week, stay spooky.